Hi, I'm Pastor James, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church in Hillsborough, Oregon. Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. Our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so each weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please visit our website at www.isunrise.com, I-S-O-N-R-I-S-E.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you, grow along the journey of life with others, develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost, and then learn how to lead other people to know Jesus Christ. Now, on to our weekend message. So we're going to go to the parable of the great feast. We're going to start Matthew 22, verse 1. It says, Jesus also told them other parables. He said, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were invited, but they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them the feast has been prepared. The bulls and fattened cattle have been killed and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went their own way, one to his farm and another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. The king was furious, and he sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to meet the guest, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the, but the man had no reply. The king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let's just pray for a moment. Lord, I just uh, ask that you come here and you, uh, you work and you meet us right where we're at this morning. Um, wherever we've come from, whatever's on our minds, whatever's on our hearts, God, I just pray you meet us where you're at, where we're at. And we've all got different backgrounds, God. That's the most important thing, different reasons for being here. And we're all on our own journey. And you have a funny way of just meeting us right where we're at. Because that's the God you are. You, you come at the right time. Um, you're never late. You're always on time. Your timing is a perfect. It's not the way we like it, but it's perfect. And so I just pray this morning, whatever's on our hearts, God, that we can just lay it down and trust you with it and uh, just have our hearts open to receive what you want to give us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so do we have uh, anyone out there like um, engagement stories, read about engagement stories? You can raise your hand if you like that. Oh, come on. Oh, come on. No one in here. It's a safe place. We can, it's a safe place. You can raise your hands, guys. It's okay. There we go. I got double hands raised in the back. That's what I'm talking about, man. Heck yeah. You're a little young, though, all right? <laughs> well, uh, I'm, I'm going to share my engagement story with you this morning. Um, I think it's good, but you can, you can tell me differently at the end of the day. Maybe you have a better one. Maybe you don't, maybe you don't have one yet. Um, and that's okay. But uh, my engagement story started about... I don't even know, three years ago, two, two, over two years, three years ago, about three years ago. Um, and uh, got the ring, the perfect ring, the absolute perfect ring. Um, 
spent a lot of time getting in and everything and going in there. Actually, I had no idea what I was doing. It's kind of a scary process when you go in there and they're like, there's all this stuff to pick from. You're like, I don't even know. Just let me find the right one. And I get this ring and I had it for about two weeks. And I'm like, all right, I got to get, we got to get engaged. Got to get, Annie and I got to get engaged. My wife now, she said yes. Um, and so we, so I kind of plan out this whole surprise. I'm like, I've seen all this stuff on Facebook rolling around. I've seen what every, everyone else is doing. But I, I think I've got to, got, it's got to be a surprise for me. Like that's, that's the real value in an engagement. Just to me. Doesn't mean it for you guys. Um, but so I'm like, I'm going to surprise her. And my problem with this is we'd been dating for about five years at this point. And I'm like, she's, she's always ahead of me. Like, I think I'm caught up and then she's ahead some more. And so to surprise her means I have to work extra hard, like really hard. And that makes me nervous because I've learned today that I'm still not ahead of her. And, uh, and so I, I plan out this extravagant, extravagant process. I, I decide that I'm going to um, go up to this hill behind my parents' house and we're going to ride our four-wheeler up there, my, my parents' four-wheeler, and I'll go up to the top. It's about a mile to the top and there's a beautiful view up there and that's where I'm going to do it. And we're going to take the dogs, my parents' dog and her dog, her dog at this time because it's not our dog yet, and, uh, and I... We're going to walk the dog, something we would do. And I'm going to tell her we're going to go look for elk because I'm a hunter. And I'm like, it's, it's practical. It's June, which means we're not going to see anything because it's like 4 o'clock in the afternoon when we're going to go. And it's going to be 90 degrees. But she doesn't know that. And she's not caught on to that piece yet. So my little bit of a secret I had, I used to my advantage. And uh, so I have this whole process planned out in my head what I'm going to do. And I wake up on a Sunday morning, June 8th to be exact. And uh, I go, today's the day. Today's the day. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to do it. This is, this is going to be the moment. I wake get out of bed. I go up to my, my parents' room. I knock on the door. I talk to my mom. I'm like, hey, mom, today's the day. I'm going to propose. She's like, today? I'm like, yeah, today. Like, did you plan this out? Or yeah, I planned it out. We're going to do it today. And you have a part in it. Oh, what's my part? Well, you are, you, we're going to have a barbecue, and you're going to make it. <laughs> just a simple barbecue. All right. And, uh, I'm like, I need your help. I need your help. You're gonna, and I said, I'm going to have her family come over. We'll go up to the mountain or up the hill and we'll come back down. Her family will be here and we'll just have a little party and celebrate if she says yes. And, uh, and so it was really, really good. I'm like, it just, you know, just our families around some way we can celebrate and kind of make it special. And so it's all, it's an action and, and it's perfect. We go to, we go to church that morning. It's a Sunday. We're in church. We go there. I'm like, got my minds off everything, you know, praising Jesus. Heck yeah. Everything's on schedule. And then, uh, we go there that, and then that afternoon we go to our small group barbecue. We are in a small group at that time. And we go there and just kind of just enjoying friends and just a real special day. And my mind is completely off of it most of the day. And, uh, then and the, uh, the barbecue rats in Gaston, and not that that matters to the story at all, but it, we're coming out of Gaston, we come into Forest Grove, we stop off at her parents' house to grab the dog and so she can get dressed to go hiking, you know, per se. And I told her we're going hunting, or like, not hunting, we're going looking for, you know, animals, basically. And so she comes down and she dresses up in a bright neon shirt because she wants to play it safe, she doesn't want to get shot. And I'm like... Babe, not gonna get shot. Camo hat. She's you know she's she's ready though. She's ready to go, and that's all that matters. I love her. She's she's invested in what I love, and so that's that's how I know I have the right one. And uh, 
And I'm, I'm sitting there at her parents' house and her dad's like, how, how you doing? And I'm like, dude, I can barely feel my feet. Like, I don't know. I'm, I'm nervous. In an hour, it'll all be over, but I'm nervous right now. And uh, so we, so he's like, all right, well, see you in a bit. And I'm like, all right, see you then. And uh, we head up to my parents' house. I walk in the door. I go in my room. I grab the ring, trying to play it cool. Like my parents don't, you know, like, hey, mom and dad, good to see you too. Yep, absolutely. Nothing's going on here. See you guys when I get back. Glad the grill's going, dad. Good job. Um, and so I grab the ring and walk off. We hop on the, uh, our four-wheeler. We got both dogs. We're heading up. We're on our way. It's about a mile to the top. Gravel road, logging roads to get there. So we're, we're, I'm riding, 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 riding. We're going. She's got her arms around me. It's real sweet, you know. And, uh, and we uh, get not even that far. Not even that far. I mean, I'm talking like maybe 300 yards. And Brigadoon, her dog at this time, mind you, I haven't come into its life and been the enforcer yet, decides that, it has a, that she has a hurt paw. And she goes down and I'm like, and she can't walk and she's on three legs. And I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Seriously? We got places to go. You better, better suck it up, you know? And I, and Annie's like, I, and if I remember correctly, Annie's like ready to turn around at this point. Like, Hey, you know, maybe we shouldn't do this. Brigadoon's not up for it. She's hurt. I'm like, no, we're going to the top at least, you know, we got places to get here. And so we throw Brigadoon on the four wheeler and my parents dog, Brandy, she's like, she's grown up on the farm. So she's tough. She's like, don't worry. Taylor, I'm, I'm with you. I'm going still. I'm like, good, good work, buddy. And so we're going, we're driving a little bit further and we're going, we're going and going. And all of a sudden, I kid you not, a tree fell over on the road. And I'm from the top side of the bank to the low side of the bank. There's no way around it. I'm, I'm on a four wheeler and I'm, this isn't my first time. Like there's no way around this tree. And I'm just kind of sitting here kind of like going, well, shoot, what am I going to do now? Um, and luckily there is a second way up to the top. It's really four wheeling though. You go through ruts and you get into some things. You really are getting off road at this point. And we decide to take that route. Um, we go up to the top. We make it all the way up there to the beautiful viewpoint, let the dogs off and everything like that. And we get there and just kind of, I'm like, you know, my legs can't feel them. We're sitting up on top and I, I pull out my video camera. I got a new video camera, just like a week or two before that, before this point. And I'm like, I'm, I'm the corny guy who's going to get this all on video. And I'm like, so I set it up. I'm getting it ready. I've actually got a GoPro too. I've got it on the ground. I'm like, this is going to be professional photography. I'm going to get it all. And no one's here. And I'm like, now I know how all these guys pull it off that I've watched on Facebook for the longest time. I'm like, I've got it. I'm kind of got it angled. Cause I tell her, I'm like, I'm going to get like, I'm going to get a picture of the elk with this or video of the elk that we see. And I've got it totally fooled. I'm like, this is so good. And so I get it all set up. I've got it recording. I've got this recording. And I go, all of a sudden, I pull my, I get my line already. And I'm like, oh, look, I think I see something over there. And I point to something. She's like, where? And she pulls up her binoculars and she's looking. And about this point, she's looking over, over across the way. And I'm like, all right, pull it out of my pocket. I get down on one knee. And as she turns around, I'm like, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. All right, she turns around and she's like, are you kidding me? I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> but my problem was... I got to about this point and I didn't think anything through past this point. I mean, I got it all the way to here and I didn't get anything else figured out. And I kind of thought a little bit about what I was going to say, but not really that much in depth. Like I thought the words would just come to me and they didn't. And so the little bit I had planned out, I said, and I'm like, I throw in a little verse. I'm like, you know, he just put the God part in it. And then I was like, will you marry me? And the answer was yes. I didn't clarify it last night. And, uh, and so she says, yes, we're excited. She also told me last night, you said more than just a couple words. I was like, well, it didn't feel like it at the moment. Um, 
But, uh, so then we drive down the mountain and we go down and we put both dogs on because they're both tired at this point. We go down, our family's there and it's super special, you know. We just, we're hanging out, we have the barbecue, it's some of our closest people around us and we're just celebrating this sweet moment in life and everything went planned and I surprised her so I win at the end of the day and uh, it's just really awesome. So then we go into wedding planning mode and I've got my own thoughts about that. Um, that and Pinterest and yeah, see, and, uh, if you don't know what Pinterest is, it's, it's, it's ruined all creativity in this world because you don't have to be creative anymore. You can just go find something, you know, um, it's just like a social media app. You can go on there has pictures of all these really cool crafts and stuff. Um, but so we go in the wedding planning mode and she's got all these really cool ideas mapped out and all these things she wants to do. And it's and fantastic execution. She did a really good job. And we have this really cool thing. We get these invites. You pick out, all, you know, I was like, I don't, you know, sure. That invite looks good. So we pick out these invites. We save them out send them to everyone and we bring a bunch of people to our wedding I mean we had I don't know two or three hundred people or something like that and and we just celebrate it's just this great night you show up it's all about you you know that's the best part about the wedding it's all about you and 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 let me say again it's all about you and uh and uh, we have all our friends and family, closest people to you. The night flies by, you know, it goes so fast, it's like an hour, you know, if that's what it feels like, even though it was like five or six hours. And it's just special. You're having entertainment, we're dancing, we're having tons of fun. Everyone at our wedding, like, danced and whatnot. Maybe your wedding wasn't like that, but it was a blast. It was the best time of my life. I'm like, I'm sitting back, we're hopping on, we're going to, uh, we're on our honeymoon the next day. I'm like, can we go back and do that again? Like, that was so much fun. And it was the, it was the best time. We talk about it to this day. We're like, let's just have everyone over again that was at our wedding it was so much fun and it's one of the best days of your life and you bring all these people and it's super special and you just it's it's the best thing you want to be at and if you haven't had one yet the day's coming all right you know live with expectancy and so uh and just the best day ever the best feast ever the best moment ever in your life you know and that's what I keep, that's what i refer to it as and today we, we it's no different we're walking into this feast this parable of this great feast and it would be the best event you could ever be at it was the best event and weddings then weren't just something that would happen over a couple hours at a night it was something that would last for days on end and at a if the king was throwing it, it'd be even longer. It'd be the biggest deal. And if you were invited but to the king's wedding that he was throwing, such as in this story, man, you'd be waving around that invite. You'd be so excited. You'd be like, I'm going to the wedding. I got invited. I'm, I'm going. And that's kind of what we see here is this event, this kingdom of heaven that Jesus is referring to, this place that you want to be, the, that we're invited to that these people are invited to. It's the place that you want to be. It's the best party around. There's nowhere else to go. This is it. This is what you live for. And so as we kind of enter this story, though, we kind of feed off of last week where James told, Pastor James shared the story of, we have the two vineyards, or the vineyards and the two sons kind of speaking to the hypocrisy of these religious leaders of the Jews here at this time. And so we continue right off of that. Jesus keeps telling us another story. He's like, this is what your hypocrisy looks like. This is it right here. And he tells it in the form of this, of this, of this parable about the great feast. And so as we walk through the story, we can kind of see that in in the very first verse, it says the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the, the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to notify those who were already invited. 
So they were already invited. They already got their save the date in the mail, all right? And they're just going to notify them, which is kind of weird. Jesus is setting them up. He's trying to tell the story here of what this looks like. And to kind of pick up where he's, he's at, he's going all the way back to Genesis. He's going all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. And this, this conversation that happened between Abraham and God. And Abraham's man in, in the Old Testament that has this conversation with God. And basically, God promises Abraham that he's going to make him the father of, of many nations. And he has Abraham go outside his tent. He has him look up at the stars. And he's like, that'll be your descendants, that many. And at the time, it seemed inconceivable for Abraham, but that's what happened. And so we see Abraham's lineage grow, all these people formed out of his lineage, and it just keeps going, and it goes through time, and they're called the Israelites, and they work their way through the entire Old Testament, they go into Egypt, they're called out of Egypt, they work their way through the many battles that happen, and back and forth, and eventually we have a a remnant of them that are left, and we get here today, and they're the Jews, this is who he's talking to, the Jewish people, they stem all the way from Abraham, and so they look back at time, and they see themselves connected to Abraham, they kind to put him up on this pedestal that he right there the fact that they're a part of his lineage is good enough like that's it they're in they're part of the chosen people they're god's chosen people that's what they were referred to as and so this is kind of what he's saying he's saying hey they all refuse to come though they all refused to come. They were notified. And they were notified by who? By all the prophets in the old testament all the way up until this point. They were notified saying hey Stop doing this. Stop sinning. Stop being this way. This isn't what God wants. This isn't how you should live your lives. And they're like, whatever. You know, like, or some of them might have repented at that point. But as we kind of keep going through it, he kind of tells more stories about how these prophets were sent out. So the servants, which are the prophets, are sent to them. He says, the feast has been prepared. The bulls and fat and cattle have been killed. And everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them and went their own way. One to his farm and another to his business. The people just didn't care. These, these Israelites... Jewish people, they, they just didn't care that what was going on. The message didn't ring true to them. It was like, yeah, at least not all of them, all right? And they, they refused to see this in the message. And when the prophets told them, they just kind of said, that's turned the deaf ear and went back to what they were doing. And some of them were that nice that they went back to what they were doing, but some of them were even more than that. And we see that in verse 6 here on the next screen. He says, others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. So some of them even killed the prophets. Some of these Israelites, some of these Jews, we see it all the way even up to just the latest prophet before Jesus with John the Baptist was beheaded. And he came and said, hey, repent. Repent. Turn your heart to God. And they ended up beheading him. And so as we continue on the story, it says the king was furious and he sent out his army to destroy the murders and burn their town. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. And so basically, Jesus is saying, yep, many of these Jews didn't listen. They didn't listen to what I had to say. They didn't change their ways. They didn't change their heart. And so he's going out to invite everyone now, which is foreshadowing, which is telling of the Gentiles that are allowed to come in. And these are people that aren't a part of the Abraham lineage. It's not just God's chosen people anymore. It's, invite, it's open to everyone. And that means it's open to you and I as well. And so that's what he's telling them. He's just telling them the story of how this is going to unfold. And as we continue on, one more verse, it says, So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike. And the banquet hall was filled with guests. Because we are invited to the feast. And that's what he's telling us in the story. That 
the Gentiles were invited, and now we are invited because we are the Gentiles, because Abraham is not in our lineage. We aren't part of the original Jewish chosen people. And so we are welcomed in. We are welcome to the table. We're welcome to the greatest feast that is possible. That is the place you want to be, and we're there. We're at, we are invited to this table, everyone in this room. But one of the things you got to look at in this story is what is what does the invite look like? What is this notification? What is this kind of saying, hey, you're invited to the table, you're invited to the feast. What is that what does that actually mean? What is that? And we look back at the prophets and we look at what all their warnings were and what it looked like, but the basic idea of this is that it's the gospel. It's the message of truth and grace. It's the message of Inclusion, it's a message of love, it's a message of turn from your ways and turn your heart to God. It's an invitation to the greatest thing possible, but you gotta change the way you're living. You gotta change the way you're doing things, maybe. And so that's it's the gospel. And so we see a bunch of different responses in this story to the gospel. We see different responses to the invitation. And if I could put them out for you, there's, there's four different responses, actually. Because we we've kind of covered the first two, but we also get this guy who's not dressed right coming into the wedding, casually dressed. And we get the people that are dressed correctly for the wedding. And so we have four different responses. And the first response that's not sitting at the table is going to be these people that kind of just went back to work. They're indifferent to the gospel. They don't really care what it has to say. They just go back to their fields. They go back to their business. That's what they do. And what does that look like for us today? Maybe you just kind of sneak into church every once in a while and you're like, yeah, I kind of maybe, I don't know if I believe in Jesus. I don't really understand it, but I'm here. I came one time, but I've got a life to live. So I don't got time for Jesus, really. I don't got time for the gospel. I don't got time for any of that. Because I've got bills to pay. I've got a job to work. I've got a family at home. I've got all kinds of things going on in my life. I've got adventures to go on. I've got things to do. I've got to live my life. I've got to fill it with purpose. I've got things. It's not stopping. And I don't have time for the gospel. I don't got time for Jesus. I don't got time for any of that. Because I got a life going outside. And maybe it's not maybe any of you in this room, but there's people out there that are that way to the gospel. They have, they, and it's not that they hate Jesus. It's not that it's any of that. It's like, I just don't got time for that. I don't have time. I, I got stuff to do on Sunday morning. There's only two days in my weekend. And one of them's not church. One of them's not reading my Bible. You know? But maybe that is some of us in this room. Maybe that's where we're at. Maybe we are just indifferent to the gospel. Like, yeah, I'm not like against Jesus, but I'm not like, I don't got time. So I make it when I can and that's it. Or maybe, maybe you're hostile towards the gospel. Maybe you're not at the table because you're hostile to the message. Maybe when someone approaches you and challenges you with truth in your life, You just kind of look at them and you go, no, I thought you were my friend. How dare you say that to me? How dare you tell me that? I thought you were my friend. Why are you challenging me? Why are you saying this to my life? This is my life. I get to choose how I want to live my life. 
And so they push back and they say, I don't want any of that. I don't want anything that you have to do with Jesus. Or maybe they're not even in this church. Maybe they're not here today because every time they hear the name Jesus, they're like, no, thank you. I know Jesus because I know Christians and I don't want anything to do with that. Like I said, I think most of us in this room, it's not necessarily nothing to do with Jesus. It's more to do with the people in our lives that come to us and try to challenge us. And some of them come off very truthful and there's, there's some of that. But man, how do we respond to the gospel when we read it? How do we respond to it when God is challenging us in the way that we are doing things that maybe don't line up with his way? How do you feel? Do you feel threatened? Or maybe you're this guy who shows up at the wedding feast and you're not wearing the correct clothes. This guy shows up. King notices a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothing for a wedding. And the guy's got no excuse. He was speechless. Got no answer for him. And it's like, it's kind of weird. It's like, okay, at least he came. At least he made it to the wedding. Why is he getting thrown out into the darkness? Like, why... I don't understand this, Jesus. Why is he going? He came. The other people didn't come. They didn't even make it here. Why is he penalized? He showed up just because he's not wearing the right clothes. And see what, if we look at the story and what it was believed, it would be assumed that really he had the option to wear the right clothes. It wasn't that he couldn't afford them. It wasn't that there wasn't an option. It's that he chose not to. He had the option and he chose not to. It was his decision. And so he comes in and if we look at what kind of the context of the situation and what we look at in the Bible kind of view is that he came in wearing filthy rags. He came in wearing his own filthy rags of his own works and his own self-righteousness and everything that he achieved in this life and this level of perfection and good morality and that's it. And that's what he hung his case on and he shows up to the wedding thinking that's good enough. He shows up at the table, he shows up at the feast thinking that'll do. And maybe that's where we're at in this room. And then there's the people that are at the feast and at the table. And they're sitting there because they came in the clothes of righteousness. But not their righteousness. They came in the clothes of Christ's righteousness. What Christ did on the cross. That's where they're at. But what's with this guy? He shows up. He's not wearing the clothes. I mean, what, why would he choose not to? And I think the best way to depict the story and the best way to share it and is there a man, there's a man in the Bible and his name is Judas. And he's one of the 12 disciples. And if you don't know Judas, he's one of these 12 men that Jesus pours his life into. And at the end of the day, he betrays, betrays Jesus. Betrays him for 30 pieces of silver. And that's kind of how we all write him off. Because every time his name's like mentioned in the Bible, it's like in parentheses it says, later betrays Jesus. And so when we look at Judas, we see a betrayer. We see this guy who's just like, you wrote off Jesus. You're not even part of the 12. Like, whatever, dude. But I think I've got to go way back with Judas. I think we all have to go way back with Judas because Jesus picked Judas. Jesus picked him. He called him. And not only that, we've got to go look at how Judas was a part of the 12. 
These 12 men that Jesus poured his life into, and they did life together. They were tight. They were brothers. It was tighter than blood. It was tighter than most of our families are today. And they spend this time together for three years under Jesus' teaching. Three years. They are super tight. They left their fathers. They left their families. They left their jobs. And they gave up everything and are living on very little to follow Jesus around and learn from him. It doesn't get tighter than that. And they're sitting there and they're under Jesus' teaching and Jesus is constantly talking about the kingdom of heaven and what it's like. And they're there and they're literally in the physical presence of Jesus for three years. Learning about him. Seeing everything. Seeing who he was. Watching him heal the blind. Heal the lame. Heal the lepers. Watching the impossible happen right before their eyes. He, Judas, is seeing this. He's watching this happen. He's seeing Jesus for everything he's worth. He's right there. He's touching Jesus. And then if we go to other spot in the Bible, we see that the 12 disciples are sent out to heal people, to cure people. And Judas is on that list of the disciples that were sent out. He's on the list. He's there. He did it. He was healing people. He was curing people. He was sent out. It says at one point the disciples were baptizing people. Judas is one of the disciples at that point. Judas was baptizing people. Judas did it all. He walked with them. He did everything with Jesus and these 12 men. They were close. He was even the treasurer for the group. Which to be that would mean you'd be trusted with the money. So these 12 men, they sat around. They thought he was really trustful too. Trust him. And so they spend all this time together. They build this relationship. It's so tight. And then we get all the way to the end and we sit here at this last supper. We sit at this last moment. We see it in John 13. We kind of see it all kind of unfold for us. And it says, now Jesus was deeply troubled and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth. One of you will betray me. The disciples looked at each other wondering whom he could mean. The disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Simon Peter motioned to him to ask, who's he talking about? So that disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus responded, is it the one, it is the one to whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas. This is their last meal together before Jesus goes off to the cross. This is the last meal as 12 disciples. They came all this far. They're all together sitting around this table and Jesus goes, when are you going to betray me? And what I see in this is I see a bunch of disciples who didn't know who it was. They're sitting there. They spent life together for three years. And they don't even know who the one is that's going to do it. And that's because Jesus loved Judas like he loved the other 12 men. The other 11 men. He loved them just the same. He loved them just like he loved them. He poured his life into Judas just like he poured his life into those guys. And the 11 didn't even know. They couldn't even tell. They didn't know what was going on. Because Jesus loved Judas the same way that he loved the other 11. And right before this meal, right before this, they enter into a room. And they all sit down and Jesus grabs, grabs a towel, grabs the water and starts washing all their feet. He just comes down and he, and he rubs the dirt off and he cleans their feet And you know who one of those men was? Judas. 
Jesus loved Judas. He was there serving him, knowing that he would betray him moments later. Knowing that it was over later. Just a little bit. And he sits there and he still says, man, I love you. I care about you. I'm going to serve you. Even though you're going to betray me. I mean, that's the heart of Jesus. That's the love of Christ. All the way to this last moment where it's like, what's with the bread, Jesus? What's with the bread? Why can't you just point and say Judas? Why do you got to dip the bread in and give it to Judas? What's up with that? And so it was, it was very common at this Passover meal that they're celebrating that there would be unleavened bread on the table and that there would be this dish called chisereth. And it's just like, it's a Jewish, Jewish dish for the Passover. And it would be extremely special for the host, which was Jesus, because he was hosting the meal, to give, to dip that bread, dip the bread in that dish, and he would give it to the guest of honor. This wasn't to make fun of Judas. This wasn't to antagonize him. It wasn't anything. It was to purely say, I'm inviting you in. I invite you to the table, Judas. I love you, Judas. I love you. And Judas gets up immediately from this and he walks away. He goes and he betrays him and it's over. And so Judas is the same guy that shows up at the feast He's not dressed in the right clothes because he chose not to. He chose not to. And it's like, why does Judas, Judas betray Jesus? Why does Judas betray him at the end of the day? Because Judas never believed. He never believed. Even though he spent all this time with Jesus, all this time, three years, watched it all happen, did some of it, he still never believed. When it came down to the moment, when it came down to the last invitation, the last act of love, he gets up and he walks away because he doesn't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He doesn't believe it. He may think it, he may kind of maybe know it, but he doesn't believe it here. He doesn't believe it there. And so he shows up at the wedding feast and he shows up and he's wearing these clothes, his filthy rags of works, of good works, what he's done in his life and what he's accomplished. And this person shows up thinking it still relies on them. It's still that they have to earn it, that they've got to do something more to get Christ's love, to earn his affection. And their Christ is loving this guy, even though he's going to betray him. And we walk on the scene and we see this this guy show up and he doesn't wear the right clothes. And it's because he doesn't believe in Jesus. He doesn't believe that Jesus is real. He doesn't believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He shows up thinking he can do it. And I think that's the question for all of us that we have to ask today is that we can show up to church. We can come to church. We can play church. We can do this. But if Jesus isn't real, then why are we here? If we're not really living it out like Jesus is died on the cross for the sins of the world, then, man, we're just betraying Jesus in our life. And I'm not saying it all has to do with church. I'm not saying about church attendance. I'm not saying it has to do with reading your Bible. I'm saying that it has to do with your faith in Jesus Christ. This won't save you. Showing up here will not get the job done. Going home and living a better life will not get the job done. There's only one, and he's the one who took your place. 
He's the one who went to the cross. He's the one who spread his arms wide and said, I will bear all your sin. Past, present, and future. But if you still show up and you're trying to earn it, you've missed the point of the cross. You have discounted the gospel. And are you sitting in this chair? Are you sitting in this one? Do you show up thinking you might have accomplished something? You might have arrived. No. This is the chair you want to be in. This is the chair. This is it. You want to be at the wedding, dressed in the clothes of righteousness found in Christ. By calling on his name, believing that he went to the cross, feasting with Christ. Feasting at the table with Jesus. This isn't about just a feast that's in eternity. This feast that's down the road. This is a feast. This is the kingdom of heaven, he's saying here. This is the kingdom of heaven. It's right here. It's right now. The kingdom of heaven has arrived, but it's also not yet. There is a feast in eternity. It's there. But there's also one to be had right now with Jesus. It's right here. And it's the greatest feast you'll ever want to be a part of. It's the best party in all the world. There's nothing better than feasting at the table with Jesus because at that table is the gospel and it's peace and it's love and it's mercy and it's truth. But it doesn't matter what you're dealt in this life. It doesn't matter what happens because some of us have been dealt a pretty hard hand. But if you're feasting at the table with Jesus, then nothing else matters because you're sitting here with him. And you're dining with Jesus and you understand you're at the greatest place you could be no matter what the circumstances around you may feel like. That you are sitting here. And if you're not sitting here, then you're not at the table. And so which chair are you sitting in? Where are you at? Are you indifferent to Jesus? Are you hostile to Jesus? Are you clothed in Jesus? Not clothed? Are you sitting at the table with Jesus? Where are you at? And I think sometimes maybe you're like, I'm not just stuck in this chair, Taylor, but I'm also in this chair. And like, if you're sometimes like me, maybe you think you want to float between the chairs. You want to float one day. You're like, I can do, I'm going to do it. I'm going to live better. I'm going to get my life on track. I'm going to start living it out a little bit better. I'm going to treat people with more love, a little more, more kindness. This is how I'll do it. Jesus, I'll earn it. That's how you live it. And then you're like, wait a second, that's right. I'm supposed to live over here. And so you walk back to this chair and you're like, no, it's all on the cross. It was done there. Or maybe something comes up in your life and, you're, and, you, and you don't like the circumstances and you don't like where you're at and you don't like what's been given to you and what's been handed to you. And you're like, I don't like this. This isn't it. And you sit in this chair and you're like, well, maybe if I do more and I do this and I do that, this will come through and that will happen and this will play out. And you've got this whole mind game going when it's like it was finished. It was done. Feast at the table right here because it's already finished. Christ has done it. He's got the plan all figured out. You don't have to do it. All you have to do is know that it rests on the cross and that it was finished there and that you can sit at the table and know that Jesus has done paved the way. And it doesn't mean an easy life. It doesn't mean that at all. But it's at the table, at this place of suffering, knowing that Jesus went to the cross and finished everything that you can rest your case on. Because if your hope's there, then nothing else affects you. There's nothing else that could, that could waver with you. Because his life is handing you all kinds of things that some of you been handed I, I can't even fathom but man if you're at the table with Jesus you got, you got nothing to worry about because you're going to feast with him all the way into eternity 
And this is where we all want to live. This is where we all want to be. And how do we come to the table? How do we get to the table? And it's not about getting to the table as much as it's acknowledging who Jesus is to you in your life. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus? Is he real? Because if you're there, Jesus is real. Jesus' death on the cross is real. But if you're here, Jesus doesn't mean anything. And some of you are like, well, but I think I'm, I think I'm sitting here though, Taylor. I think I'm hostile. I think I'm, I think I'm indifferent. I think I'm, I don't know that I believe. You see the story? Jesus invited him twice. He invited him twice. He called the guy who didn't show up a friend with the right clothes on. Because that is the heart of God. He's always inviting you. He's always trying to bring you in. He's always trying to invite you to the table, to the greatest feast. He's inviting you. And it's not something you can earn. It's not something you can do. But it's acknowledging who Jesus is in your life. Is he real? Did he really die on the cross for your sins? Did he really do that? The answer is yes. But I can't tell you that. I can't make you believe that. You have to rest your case and your life on that so that you can feast at this table with him. I want to invite the worship team up at this point because I want to share one last, one last moment with you that happened at the table. And uh, Jesus has these 12 men gather around this table. At this point, Judas might have already gone away to betray him, but he has these men there and they're gathered around this table And Jesus wants to teach them one last thing. He wants to show them one last thing. He wants to break the bread and drink the wine with them. He wants to show them the symbolism in this. He wants to show them to do this in remembrance of what he's about to do. It makes it real. It makes Jesus real. It's a remembrance of saying, hey... That's what Jesus did on the cross for us. And he's trying to show these men that this is, you're going to do this and you're going to celebrate what I did on the cross. You're going to acknowledge it and believe in that. And that's where you'll rest your case. That's what you're going to do. You're going to, you're going to break the bread together because my body was broken for you. You're going to, you're going to drink the juice, the wine, because my blood was spilled out for you. And you're going to remember me when you do that. Because I'm going to be real. I'm going to be present. And you are going to feast at the table with me. And you're invited. And so we're going to open up the communion tables right now. We're going to bring them out. We're going to, we're going to take this together as a body in the middle of the song. And so I'm going to invite you to go over there. But as you approach that table, who is Jesus to you? Who is he? Which chair are you in? But know you're invited. Know you're there. And so as you approach that table, you've got to come to this point and remember that Jesus is real. That Jesus is your Savior. He paid the price. So you didn't have to. And you, as you approach that table, remember that. Because that's why we do it every weekend. Because we know who Jesus was. And we believe that Jesus went to the cross for our sins. And anything less than that, Man. So as we, I'm going to open up, I'm going to take, tell you guys to go to the tables right now, but just approach that table. 
Just know, remember that. And we'll then take it here as a body here in just a few minutes after worship goes.